Open your Bibles with me to, um, <clears throat> well, the same chapter we were last, um, last week and the week before that and the week before that. Chapter 6 of, um, of, the, of the book of John. And we are close to the very end of this chapter and really Jesus Christ just keeps repeating himself. I am the bread of life. I mean, how many times do we have to hear that? To get his point. I am the bread of life. Eternal life. He's really um, trying to uh, communicate, uh, you know, a very simple concept, a very simple truth. And that is a truth of eternal life. What is eternal life? Um, and so um, <clears throat> uh, our journey today takes us through verses 50 all the way to, um, all the way to 58. And then next week we will finish it off with uh, the remainder of the, um, of, the, of the chapter. Eternal life um, is an elusive reality, if for nothing else, uh, than to, you know, for the fact that, you know, nobody, I've never seen anybody come back to life, uh, short of what we, you know, who we uh, read about in, in Scripture and um, in the Lord Jesus Christ that have told me, hey, listen, you know, this is what eternal life is, and so on and so forth. It is an elusive reality because of the weight of mortality. That is to say, everybody dies. And we're, we're, you know, sometimes, or a lot of times, you know, a human, the, the reality of our, our experience conditions us as to what we are able to see or what we can see. The weight of mortality conditions us. And also, the limits of longevity. I read not too long ago that the oldest person in the world died and that person was in, uh, you know, died at the age of some 130 some years old. In relation to eternal life, if we talk about eternal life as the longevity or life that never ends, then human longevity or mortality conditions us, condition us towards not really understanding what Jesus Christ means when he says, I am the life, or I am the living bread, the kind that never, the, the kind, the living kind, the living and breathing kind, you know, and so on. So it's, it's very hard to, for us sometimes to understand what he means. The demands, of, the demands of human distress and the demands of human suffering also conditions us away from understanding what Jesus Christ has been trying to say here all along in chapter 6, as well, the pressures of society and the different ways in which society tries to fit Jesus Christ in, in, in their own mold and, and how, in their own, you know, with their own agenda and their own ideas. So Jesus Christ ends up becoming different things to different people so that the real Jesus Christ is hardly ever heard. The real Christ struggles to be heard about what really is this eternal life and how is it that he is able to give us this eternal life? What is this eternal life? Of course, when we read, uh, when you read John, uh, the, the book of John, and I'm so happy that you know, we have four gospels, four different ways of looking at Jesus Christ, and four different ways of looking at what it, what it is that he accomplished for you and me. And in the book of John, the emphasis is not so much that Jesus Christ died for our sins, even if, even if he says, it says that in John chapter 1, verse, uh, John chapter 1, verse uh, 20, uh, 20, uh, 29, for example, 
um, we find this, this, these words. The next day, uh, he saw Jesus coming toward him, that is John the Baptist, and, and he declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet in the, in, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ speaks in, often in, in a very different way than he speaks in the other three Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke. So Jesus Christ tries to explain to us what this eternal life is. And according to John 3.16, we, you know, we find a very, the, very, the very basic definition, our own, you know, basically our own very defi- uh, de- uh, basic definition of this eternal life. When we've all memorized this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever or everyone who believes in him may not perish, there's the, there's the first uh, um, cue, may not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So if you compare that word perish and eternal life, then you would see that eternal life, the most basic definition we have in scripture of eternal, eternal life is life that never ends. Okay, life that is unending. John 3.16 but there is another way in which we can see eternal life to add to the texture of our understanding of, of eternal life. And it is found in the, latter, in, the, in the second part of John chapter 10, verse 10, in the same gospel that we are studying today. We're studying, uh, you know, these, these few weeks we've been studying cha- uh, John chapter 6. But, but if we go a few chapters over um, to chapter 10, uh, verse 10, and in the second part of that chapter, we have the, the, this Jesus Christ telling us, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you see here, the concept, another concept is added to the, to the idea of eternal life as life that never ends, to a quality, a certain kind of life. Life as a quality, a quality of life, a certain texture of life, not just a life that doesn't end, but a quality of life. We talk about the quality of life that we, 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 we are experiencing right now and in the age of pandemic. And I tell you, during those dark times when we could not even worship, when I had to, to stand here, and face that camera. And imagine all of you when you're not here. And then when we finally, um, or, or even before, and, and, and you know, we were, you remember we were, we were going from, you know, I was going from preaching here and recording my sermons. That was worse. Uh, my family had to go through that hell called me recording my sermon every single Sabbath. Because I would not be satisfied with anything less than what I would consider to be perfect. And I would record, and I would re-record, and I would edit, and then record, re-record, edit. You didn't get to see any of that. But in my household, I would, you know, uh, there would be, t- uh, probably uh, uh, Scott would pro- probably um, realize what was going on when I would rush here at 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 9 o'clock in the morning. Scott, I've got it. Here it is. And I just finished at 7 o'clock in the morning. I finished recording and I finished, you know, um, and my quality of life, to be honest with you, in those days. Can you imagine my quality of life? 
Can you imagine the, the toll it, uh, it had in my mental health? And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Having to record and record. I'm, you know, I'm basically a, a one-man recording studio. And it was my very first time doing it. And so when Jesus Christ says, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if, if I were to read that text in those dark days of, you know, of, of, of lockdown, I would probably, you know, if I didn't understand that life, eternal life is not just unending life, but a certain quality of life, I would say, no, I don't want that eternal life if it's going to be like this. If it's unending pandemic, but the reality is that Jesus Christ has been trying to say all along in this fantastic chapter of John chapter 6, what eternal life is. And he says, it is not simply just life that never ends, but it is a quality, a certain abundant life, the life that you could enjoy. And when you put those together, he would say that you can enjoy only, he would say, only in me. But then he, could say, he says it, uh, he says, um, so he combines those two aspects, unending life with quality of life, merge those two, he says. And he says, it's not just merging those two, but finding those two encapsulated and personalized, okay, in the person of me, of him, of Jesus Christ. And when we, you know, here in, in the Gospel of John, you will never, uh, you will not see the, uh, John, the, the, uh, the writer of John, you will not see him, you will not read him talking about Jesus Christ, you know, like paying for, for our sins and stuff like that. That's more or less Paul that talks like that. Um, it's, it's, John does not talk like that. And yet, they mean the same thing. So when you combine those two definitions as we find in the book of John, and then you put them together in Jesus Christ, the claim of Jesus Christ is really very simple. You can only find that life in one, not idea, but in one person, and that person is me. And people struggled, struggled because, you know, they had their own agenda. They had their own agenda to fulfill. They had their own idea. They had their own philosophy of life that they could not somehow fit. So it's like fitting a, um, you know, a square bo uh, box into a round, a uh, square peg into a round hole. And they try to fit Jesus in there and he just won't fit. And he will not, he refuses, he refuses to fit anyone's agenda, anyone's idea about life everlasting, about life abundant than what he has to offer himself. And so John, I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, try and he, 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 he tries to merge those two and then he comes up with the idea that not only, that not only is life ever, eternal life unending, not only is it abundant, it is unending and abundant now. Now here and now he's, a, he's really uh, maybe after pandemic but not now yes now yes now and here's how he says it and and, and we've gone through that we went through this last sabbath and i want to uh, re-emphasize this in john chapter 6 verses 46 and 47 I, I tried to say i tried to bring it out last sabbath and i want to bring it out again 
Here's how it's worded in the, uh, in the new, uh, new Revised Standard Version, uh, which is what I'm using today. Uh, it says, not that anyone has seen, that's in the perfect tense, and I, and, and, and I told you uh, uh, last week that the idea, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of a grammarian here, grammarian here just for a couple minutes, okay? The idea of the perfect tense is really the here and now. Something that happened in the past um, that is now real right now. That's what it really means. So uh, if we are to uh, make this verse even clearer, it should say, and it does say this, not that anyone has okay, the Father now, except the one who is from God, that is Jesus Christ himself or anyone that is from God. But Jesus Christ, he has seen, or that is to say, he sees the Father now. And then we go to verse, 30, uh, verse uh, uh, 47, and it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes, that is, believes, has eternal life now. That, that quality of life that Jesus Christ offers, and that life unending that he offers, he offers now. It is applicable now. And come to think of it, he said that 2,000 years ago. He said that before, he said that before he, you know, he uh, gave us life for all of us. So in a sense, this is already past tense. It is what we call, and we've been studying this in, in, in the pastor's uh, uh, Sabbath, uh, Sabbath study group. It is this, called, this is called the, the objective part of salvation. It's a done deal. That is to say, it is, it is something that has already happened. Jesus Christ has arrived. He lived his life. He died the sacrificial death. And he was resurrected from the dead. Those things will never change. It is a, uh, an historical fact. And now what remains is our appropriation of that gift by, that is given to us completely by the grace of God to, to appropriate that and make that applicable in our lives today by the grace of God, so that we can begin living the eternal kind of life today. Even in the midst of the worst pandemic there could ever be. Worst to us anyway. It's the, one, it's the only one we've ever known. Even if there's been several of them or a handful of them in the past. You know, I've been riveted to, uh, you know, the news and the, the, the evolving, the fast evolving, uh, uh, um, you know, happening or events uh, that have been happening that are continuing to happen in the, the nation of Afghanistan. 20 years, September 11, 2001. Do you all remember where you were? It's forever etched on my mind where I was, what I was doing. I was in San Diego. My wife had just left for work. It was around nine o'clock when I, I realized. We didn't have TV in the house. We didn't have radio in the house. I didn't have an iPhone. I had a flip phone in those days. So I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then suddenly my wife uh, 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 calls and says, you know, turn on, uh, did I, we have TV? I don't think we had TV. No, he, she couldn't have said, turn on the TV. We didn't have TV. Uh, I think she said, go to church and watch something or watch something like that. And, um, and, and, then, and, and then I realized what was happening. 9-11, I realized, I remember to this day where I was, 
what I was doing. I was washing dishes in the kitchen, putting away breakfast. And then realized that, you know, the world, our world had just changed forever. And September 11, 2021 will mark, will mark 20 years to that day when we were attacked as a nation. And I remember as a patriotic American myself, I remember the first, the gut feeling I had was to go and enlist. And my wife stopped me. Said, you have, you have your ministry, you need to stay here, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I was going to enlist. And I remember, I remember um, years ago when I was in high school, I wanted to enlist. The army says, no, you failed the test. <laughs> and so they actually said, you know, you don't qualify. And so I failed the, uh, the, the, uh, the physical exam and, and never made, quite made it into the, the American, the, the United States Army. But in just a few weeks, we will have, we will be celebrating 20 years of that awful and awful day. And now we're on our way to leaving Afghanistan. And nobody quite expected, nobody quite expected that things would unravel like it's unraveling now. How many of you were alive in 1975 when Saigon, the images of Saigon and the last American helicopter and those people hanging on to dear life, trying to, you know, catch the last, that last helicopter leaving Saigon and surround, Saigon is surrounded and everything is lost. And now we're facing a similar scenario. And I could only feel for those people in that, in that part of the world, in Afghanistan, not a whole lot of Christians there, but every single one of the individuals there are, are created in the image of God, are people of God. Whether or not they're Christians, they are still God's people. And can you imagine the trepidation? Can you imagine the quality of life these people now face? Those women, those children. It's not a, a happy time to be a woman in Afghanistan these days. Can, can you imagine if the, you know, if, 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 the, if, the, if the government folds, and, and I was discussing that, I was so, enra- I, I was so wrapped up in, in, in this, and I was discussing this over breakfast with my son, and said, you know, those, the, the, the army, the Afghan army that we trained for, for, for 20 years, as soon as the enemy comes, they run. What would it take? And the quality of life Jesus tries to, uh, Jesus tries one last time to be heard when he says, it really, you know, it, you know, eternal life, eternal life is not just life everlasting, but it is a quality of life. And yes, you can enjoy this life here and now. And he says, yes, you can, but it requires, it requires re- really three things. He, 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 he goes through, we're, gonna, we're about to go through it now. But he, he's going to start, start out and, and say to us, One last time, and at least in this chapter, he's going to try to be heard one last time. And I hope that he gets heard, at least by you and me. First, he will say, he will say in verse 15, 51, and and let me just go there. Let's just go there now. Verse 50 and 51. He will reiterate this with this pronoun, demonstrative pronoun. He will say, 
I am, this, he's, I, actually he would say, this is the bread of life. So this meaning he or this, the concept, this is what the bread of life really means. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may come or may eat it or of it and not die. And then he explains that this idea, by the way, it's, 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 it's there, Scott, if you, if you just go, we can, you can follow me along. There, there it is. And he says, I am that bread. I am that living bread that comes down from heaven. And whoever eats of this bread will live forever. But once again, in that dual context of unending life and quality kind of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. And I give it for the life of the world. And as I think about what that means, and Jesus Christ saying, uh, saying that, I'm, you know, uh, <clears throat> the, um, the, the, uh, the emphasis that Jesus makes, this is the bread. This is, what it, this is what it means when I say to you that I am the bread of life. And by the way, in, in, in the Gospel of John, this is the closest you're going to get to Jesus Christ giving his, you know, Jesus Christ giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And what John is really trying to tell us here is that you need to understand that this is what I came here to, uh, to earth to do. I came here to sacrifice my life so that I could, so that you, in return, you could have life in exchange for my sacrificial death. This, he says, is the bread. I am that bread. And then he says, he, he, coach, he couches belief in what that all means uh, and faith in him in, in, in this you know, um, metaphorical w- way of eating that bread. You need to eat that bread. In other words, you need to internalize it. You need to masticate it. You need, you need to make it be part of you, to accept it and to make to nourish you and to sustain you. That is what's going to give you that eternal kind of life now. But he says there are, you know, certain things that need to happen. First of all, there needs to be a prior commitment. There needs to be a prior commitment and there needs to be understanding. So that's the first one. And the second one is there, you need to understand that there will be disruptions all along the way. It will not be life like a bed of roses where everything will be you know, hunky-dory, everything will be just a bed of roses and there will be no difficulties. He will say that. But, but then he will say, you know, not only is there a prior commitment, not only will there be disruptions, but that nonetheless, there needs to be an ongoing commitment to this, to sustain this life. And by the way, the commitment is initiated by God and sustained by God and everything is by the grace of God. And it's not necessarily through your own personal effort apart from that grace of God. So what it is really described here, you know, is the enti- what, what John 6 in, in, in these verses is describing is the entire length of our life here on earth. 
from the time we were born to the time we are justified by grace to the time when we go through this pr process of becoming, uh, uh, you know, becoming uh, more and more in, you know, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the process called sanctification in the classic Protestant way of understanding things. All of these things, he says, constitute eternal life now. The prior commitment, the prior commitment is ascribed to us in, in, the, in, in, in the verse, starting with verse 53. So Jesus said to them, very truly I, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, okay, of course, he's not meaning this literally, obviously, Christians throughout the ages have been, you know, uh, misunderstood to mean that, you know, that we do this physically. As a matter of fact, this was actually in the early days of Christianity. They were so, they were accused, they were maligned and accused of actually being cannibals. Can you imagine that? Cannibals. And it was one big reason why they were persecuted because they thought that these guys, you know, these Christians are weird. They eat the flesh and blood of somebody by the name of Jesus Christ. But the prior commitment is there, and it says you must first eat it. The gift is there. The gift has already been given to us. This is not a future tense. Jesus Christ has already given us his flesh and blood. He has already died, and he has already been resurrected from the dead. So in a sense, this gospel is looking back. It's looking back at that great sacrifice that Jesus made some 2,000 years ago. And now it's challenging you and me to accept it as Jesus Christ presented it. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You know, I, you, you may have already figured out that I like dissecting a sentence and it uh, often shows up in, in the way you know I, I preach and uh, forgive me if I'm uh, belaboring this but you know <laughs> this is it's, it's so interesting how this this is you know this is broken up into you know the sentence is broken up here in verse 53 because the you know uh, the main the main uh, the main uh, verb here in this text is you have no life in you that's the main verb you have no have you have no life. Okay, that's, that have is, you know. And, and, and so the way this, this sentence is constructed is that you have a couple of participial, participial phrases that are supporting this, supporting this main verb. And uh, the way in, 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 in Greek, you can tell which one precedes, precedes which, which. And here you have the participial phrases preceding the main verb. That is to say, you cannot have life in you unless certain things happen first. And that happens to be the eating of the flesh of the Son of Man and the drinking of his blood, which to us would simply mean believing in Jesus Christ himself. Have you accepted him as your personal savior? If you haven't, then now is the time to do, to do so. Eat him, eat his flesh. This is really what he means to say to you and me. 
Those, verse 54, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And we must add that word now there. Have, you know, eternal life now. It is not something that's just something for us to encourage us, something that happens in the future. When Jesus comes, that's part of it, but it's, it's not when it starts. It starts when you believe in him now. It is really that simple. But he says there will be disruptions. Where is that disruption? Well, he says, well, here's where it says that. He says, those, verse 54, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life now. And then he fast forwards to the end of time. Uh, He says, and I will raise them up on the last day. You know, the last day started long time ago, or last days anyway. Scripture tells us that the last day started when Jesus Christ came here. Let me just, um, it's found in um, one of the key texts there is, um, let's see, where is that? Uh, In in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one. Uh, You probably have memorized Hebrews uh, one, verse one and two, long ago. God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. And notice this, verse 2. But in these last days, when was Hebrews written? Some 2,000 years ago. In these last days, he has spoken to us by a son or by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. So while... The end or, or the, um, the last day started with the, coming of, the first coming of Jesus Christ. There is a sense in which the last of those days, okay, means also, you know, when he comes again or just before, just before he comes again. So, you know, it's, 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 you know it's, it's, it's as if, you know, Jesus is saying, listen, yes, there is eternal life now that there will be disruptions all along the way. Yes, the first and second generation Christians, and by the way, when John, when John wrote his, his, um, his gospel, the fourth of the four gospel accounts we have in Scripture, it was already in the 90s AD, probably close, closer to, this, to 100 AD, which means the first and the second generation Christians were dead. Paul died Many years before that, maybe at least 20 years, 30 years before that, he died, uh, he died the martyr's death. Many more Christians died the martyr's death. So here, we have Jesus Christ adding another dimension to this eternal life. The disruptions of life. Life in the in-between. Life between his first coming and his second coming. There will be a lot of disruptions and included in that disruption will be your temporary death by whatever means, either through natural attrition or through other means. But he says the promise is, the promise of, the promise is this, that you have eternal life now and you may die And you will die. If Jesus Christ doesn't come in your lifetime, you will die. And someone said, you know, that death is an equal opportunity thing. 
He gives us all equal opportunity to end up six feet under the ground. And sometimes we end up there, you know, through natural death. Sometimes we end up there because we've contracted, some have contracted this vicious COVID-19 disease. Whatever it means, whatever it means, what Jesus Christ is saying is that expect this to be included in eternal life now. Expect all of these and still thrive. And how do you, get, how do you thrive? You thrive through the third commitment or the second commitment, the third point, the ongoing commitment that you have with the Lord. And here's what he says in verse 56 and onwards. He says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Now, just as I was telling you about those prepositional, I mean, the participle phrases that support the main verb of the sentence, um, it's the same thing here. There are two prepositions. Participial phrases here that support the main verb, but, it's, but they're not in the past tense, they're in the present tense. So in other words, the, uh, what, it, what it's communicating is this very simply, that the main verb, if the main verb is in the present tense, and the participial phrases are also in the present tense, what it means is that those two are happening at the same time. One does not precede the other. You get, you get my point? So let's go back again to this verse. Okay, it says, those who eat my flesh, okay, and drink my blood. Now already you can see that this is the eating of, of Jesus' flesh, of course metaphorically, and the drinking of his blood is not just a one-time thing. Although it start, it, it, there is a beginning to it when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. That's what, we, what, that's what Paul would, would call when you are justified by faith, when the condemnation falls off of you and you are in, in the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, you, there is now no condemnation. You are living in the newness of life. You are free. You are new. You are a new creation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Yet, you know, <clears throat> um, that's only the beginning. So here what we have in, in verse 56 is the eating and drinking of, of Jesus' flesh and blood as you abide in him. As if to say that, you know, the abiding, the abiding is in the present tense. It's continuous. And so is the act of eating him and drinking his blood. They're contemporaneous with each other. They're inseparable with each other. That is to say... That, there, that just as there was a prior commitment to eat him, his, blood, his, 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 his flesh, and drink his blood, there is also an ongoing commitment, commitment to eat his flesh and to drink his blood as the two, the two necessary things for you to be able, by the grace of God, not through your own effort, but by the grace of God, to abide in him. You cannot abide in him unless you keep eating and you keep drinking. It's not as though nobody eats once in a lifetime, even if you don't like eating. I love eating. And I love cooking my own food. I'm not a chef, 
But I'm the chef to me, because, you, know, you know, when I cook, I cook for my own taste. And if you happen to like it, so be it. That's how I cook. And, you know, <laughs> who was it that told me? I think it was, it was David that told me, I don't like eating that, that much. I said, you know, how can it be that no, somebody does not like to eat? Because eating, to me, defines my life. I eat all the time. I can't stop eating. That's a problem because now I have, I, I'm finding out that as I get older, I can no longer sustain the amount of food I used to be able to just, you know, ingest into. <laughs> I have to, I, I'm finding out that I have to, I have to make the, my, my, my portion smaller now. And I hate that. I really just hate that. Nobody eats once and lives. Nobody drinks once and lives. And the point of the matter here is not even that we're doing it on our own and by our own power. It is, you know, and and the, way, the way John describes it is that it's a mutual abiding and, 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 and God in Jesus Christ shows us how it's done. How it's done. How? Well, you know, he tells us, he tells us there, um, verse 57, just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me, in other words, the pattern of eating and drinking, the pattern of dependence on, that Jesus Christ had on the Father is the same pattern you and I need to understand and carry out in our own lives by the, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no different it is no different. The daily abiding in Jesus Christ is no different than Jesus Christ daily abiding in the Father himself. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. And then Jesus Christ ends finally and he says, you know, it's like, you know, he's pulling the curtain back towards the center and says, now, one last time, he says that in verse, verse, verse 50, 58, this is the bread. This is what it means. Not like the kind of bread that your ancestors ate and they died. This is the bread that will give you eternal life now. Despite all the difficulties, this is it. And there is no other bread. I am the bread of life, he says. And I am the only one. You know, I, I was struggling to to see, to to, um, to find an illustration for uh, to illustrate this, and and the the uh, the the one that comes to me that keep kept coming to me. I'm not going to name the person because really this is not just one person. This is really a a um, may, uh, maybe a, a, a combination of those kids that I have observed um, are being fed bread in such a way that they are living a certain kind of life. And I mean those, 
boys, and especially boys, I'm, I'm specifically referring to certain boys that I know, who I got the, these last, you know, these last five years, have gotten to know, I think, fairly well because we spent a lot of time together and I got to see these boys and girls grow up from being very mature to somewhat immature to still immature to getting to be mature but not quite mature. And you know what I mean. And I hear smirking. And uh, one of the things that I've, I've, noticed, I've noticed is this, that um, a key component to their maturity is really the guidance that their parents give them on a daily basis. And I got to watch these boys and girls, and I, I'm going to zero in on just one, this one boy. He's not going to be named here today. So let your imagination run wild. I'm not going to tell you who. I got to watch this boy. And I, get, and I say to myself, this boy is being led wisely by his parents. This boy is abiding in his parents. So that when this boy happens to spend time with my boy, I am at ease with this boy. And I'm at ease with my boy, spending time with this boy. Why is that? Because he has life in him. And I know where he's drawing his, drawing his life from. And I know those parents. And I have every confidence with what I'm seeing in this boy, that what he's being fed is abundant life. And so yes, maturity is a relative term, but this boy is mature for his age. Because he listens to his, fam to his mom and dad's advice, because there is, that, there is that relationship. And you know, it's a similar, it's a similar thing. Yes, of course. Because Jesus Christ has already died 2,000 years ago. And when you accept him by faith, you are no longer condemned. You're living in newness of life. He considers you new creation. And now that you're no longer condemned, he wants you to abide with him daily and learn from him and learn to siphon, as it were, not just life everlasting in the sense of unending life, but perhaps even more important, because that is something that's just given to you as a gift, you know. And, you know but the abundant kind of life. To be able to think like Jesus and to be able to, be able to, to do the things that he did, by, he did by the power of God's grace, by the Holy Spirit. It really does take that. And I go back to, to, uh, uh, to, this, to this boy and to the boys and girls that I know. And I say, this is what it means, really. When Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you. And I will keep feeding you. And you will keep growing in my grace. 
And I will keep giving you life everlasting. And I will keep giving you life abundant. Never mind the disruptions. I will race you in the last day. This is the living bread. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so very much that in Jesus Christ we do have the bread (coughs) that saves us and the the bread that sustains us. Our entire life. Give us the strength, oh God, to (coughs) eat this bread and to drink the blood of Jesus Christ every day. So by the power of the Spirit, through His grace, we may be enabled, O oh God, to, 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 to keep having this kind of life to the very end of our life here, whatever that end looks like. We claim His promise as well, O oh God, that at the very end of these last days, whatever it is that happens to us physically in this world, that we will be raised back to life to be with him forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.